Well, let's pray over the Word. Father, tonight, I thank You for ears that hear, and I thank You for a spirit of revelation. Lord, we didn't come to hear from a man. We came to hear from Your Spirit. And so tonight, our spirits are wide open. And even as Jesus, You opened the minds of those disciples, we ask You to open our minds, that it can sink deep into our hearts, that we gain revelation about what You want to say tonight. Father, we're so thankful to you that you spent all that time writing the Bible, a love letter to us that we can hear from you and we can know what it is you have to say. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll tell you a story. Yesterday morning, I got to the jewelry store and I was in my office, I, I was doing some reports and trying to do some things, and one of my salespeople walked into me and they said, there's a lady out here who wants to see you. She wants you to look at her diamond. And I said, okay. And they said, and she said, she only wants to speak to the manager. I said, okay. So I walked out there and there's this lady out there and um, there's a rock on the counter and I said, you wanted to show me a diamond. And she said, yes, it's right here. And it was this rock. I mean, it was, it was, it was at least this big around. I mean, it, it was a rock. And uh, I, said, I said, so um, you think this is a diamond? And she said, oh, I know it's a diamond. And I said, really, how do you know it's a diamond? And she said, she said well, I looked at pictures on the Internet. <laughs> And this looks like diamond to me. It looks, it looks just like those ones on the Internet. By this time, I had picked it up and put it in my hand, and I already knew it wasn't a diamond by the way it felt and how heavy it was. And she, I said, it amazes me. People get on the Internet for 12 minutes, and they know more than I do after 40 years. They just, it's, they're experts. And so she was positive that it was a diamond. And I said to her, I said, well, it's not a diamond. And she said, yes, it is. And I said, no, ma'am. It is not a diamond. And she said, how do you know? And I wanted to say, this is what I always want to say, how do you not know? <laughs> well, you're ignorant about it, and I'm not. I have studied it. I know what a real one looks like. And I said to her, I said, this is not what a diamond crystal looks like. I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of rough diamond crystals in my life. However, I don't grade rough diamonds. I grade finished goods. But I said, this is just not a diamond crystal. It, they do not look like this. Where did you get it? I found it in California. I'm thinking by the side of the road, I'm not sure, but she was positive it was a diamond. She said, I said, she said well, I don't understand. It looks like the ones I've seen. I'm sure it's a diamond. I said, okay. I said, I have a little instrument here that will test the thermal conductivity of this stone, and I'll do it right in front of your face so you can see what that tells us. Because a diamond conducts heat better than anything else around. It's a great conductor of heat. So I got the probe. I went and got it, brought it to her. I put it on the stone, and it went nowhere. I mean, typically, the needle goes somewhere on most things, but it went nowhere. And I said, this is not a diamond. This is this. I already knew that, but this is proof that it's not a diamond. Now her dreams are shattered because she thought she had a zillion dollars right there in that rock. She'd been keeping it in the aquarium for her fish to look at. <laughs> and she said, well, what do you think it is? And I said, well, I'm not really sure. 
I'm not a geologist, uh, you know, I study gemology, not geology. I said, but let me, if I can take it out of your sight, I'll I have a little machine I'll look at it in the back. And I said, you know it's not a diamond, right? So I can take it away. And she said, yes. So I took it away, I came back, and I said, it might be, I don't think it is, it might be quartz. I said, but I don't think so. And she said, she was so disappointed that it wasn't a diamond. And so she walked out very dejected, and I said, I'm sorry to have to tell you, it's just not a diamond. And then she called me later because I said it might be quartz and asked me if I'd buy it because it was quartz. And I said, I didn't say it was quartz. I said, it might be quartz, but if there's not, it's not gem quality no matter what it is. So we could never cut a gemstone out of it. So I tell you this story because some people can convince themselves to believe anything. I mean, she wanted so bad for that to be something valuable. I had a lady bring me another rock today and told me it was quartz. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> she said, how do you know? And I'm like, you got to, it takes a long time to know. But she, she wanted me to cut her quartz and make something out of it, but it wasn't quartz. And so we, uh, we don't want to cut a rock that was not a quartz. Anyway, people can convince themselves of anything. People are gullible. I mean, had I said to her, oh, yes, it's a diamond. Lord have mercy. She would have believed it that fast. It took her time to be unconvinced because she'd already convinced herself that the stone was a diamond. She was, I mean, she was ready to believe it and she had believed it because she was more concerned about getting the money out of that rock than the reality of what it was. It had something she wanted possibly and that's what she was focused on. She made herself believe it. Some people believe anything. Can I tell you something? Christians often believe anything. Go to church, and sometimes they hear things that simply are not in the Scripture, and they believe it. One time Tammy and I were at a meeting, and we were, I may have told you this, we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a big meeting, big meeting. All these famous preachers were there, and we're in the congregation, and this really a famous guy gets up, and he begins to say some things <clears throat> about something. I'm not going to tell you who he was or what because I, I don't want to give him a bad name. But everything he claimed was not in the Scripture. None of it was in the Scripture. And, and I mean, everyone was going, ooh, ah. Because he spoke very emphatically, very emotionally, and he tugged at the souls of all the people in the room. It was moving what he said. It just was not scriptural. And that evening, we, were, we came back to a late, later meeting, and this guy sits next to me and goes, Oh, did you hear what he said this morning? What Didn't that just move you? And I said, Mm-hmm. And I kind of turned away because I wasn't going to get in a conversation about it. Hitler moved people. You can be moved by a lot of things. Just because it moves you doesn't make it from God. We've already, we said this last week, what makes it scriptural is what? Scripture. How can you avoid being fooled then? You better know the scripture. We've got to know what does the Bible say. And people say, well, how, I, I don't know if I, I can't do that. I, I haven't been to, to Bible school like you have. I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't Bible school that taught me the Bible. I, loved the, I, I fell in love with the Word of God the day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Word came alive to me. And it became the most important document on the planet to me. And since that day, and that's many, many years ago, the Word is what's important. And if we don't know the Scripture, 
we can be easily fooled. Easily fooled. Hmm. This is, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang with me. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 4. Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Then in verse 6 he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. Something about these Nicolaitans, Jesus hated. The word hate here means utter contempt, to have hostility for or to be intolerant of. Jesus was intolerant of, of, the, of the, uh, uh, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, he didn't hate the Nicolaitans. He hated their deeds. He hated what they were doing. The word deeds, uh, the, the Greek word is ergon, which means to work. It has to do with products or actions. He hated what they did. He hated what they did as a result of what they believed. It was causing them to, to mess up. Jesus said, I hate that. Can I just, I'm just thinking, if Jesus hates it, it might be something we might ought to understand, right? Make sure we're not doing the same thing. Chapter, same chapter, down in verse 15, Jesus is talking to Pergamos. We read this last week when we were talking about how Jesus fights. Remember, we talked about him fighting with the sword that comes out of his mouth. That's how Jesus fights a spiritual fight. Verse 15 says, So so hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Jesus hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus hated it so much that he was willing to fight against it. That's pretty bad. When you read the Bible, it makes a lot of things. We talked last week when we talked about his good confession. He fights with the word of his mouth. He hates their doctrine. The word doctrine means that which is taught, specifically speaking of that which is taught publicly in the assembly. Something they were preaching and teaching in this church, Jesus hated. If he hated it, and he's willing to fight against it. Now, now this isn't the world. This isn't... Congress or the Democrats, this is in the church is what he's talking about. The church at Pergamos, he hated this doctrine and was willing to fight against it with the word of his mouth. If he was willing to do that, maybe we ought to know what it is, you think? And maybe we ought to be willing to fight against it. What is he talking about? What, when he's talking about Nicolaitanism, what is it? Here's what it is. Historically, we understand it was a group of spiritual leaders who taught there was nothing wrong with serving Jesus while simultaneously participating in pagan and unscriptural cultural practices of the day. In other words, the church could be mixed with carnal carnality and Christianity. It could be the two things going on at one time. The Nicolaitans. In other words, they watered down a version and a combination of church and world. It was coming together. And in fact, it was very hard to distinguish between the church and the world. The Bible says this in James 4.4. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore shall be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. 
Now that's pretty important stuff there. Jesus is willing to fight against it. Here the Bible says it is the enemy of God. Those are pretty powerful words. The purpose of what they did was, this is, I'm not making any of this up, was to be able to draw a larger crowd and not be repugnant to the society of the day. They watered it down, made it so the people could come. They wanted to not offend anyone. They wanted to be able to fit into society because they didn't want to be looked down upon by society. And so they were willing to incorporate all this doctrine that was not scriptural into the church. Okay? They especially wanted, wanted the, friends, of the fam- friends and families of their church members to be able to come and not be offended. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? You know, one time, many years ago, my parents weren't Christians, or they didn't live like they were Christians, and they were coming to my church. And we had a pretty vocal church as far as the gifts of the Spirit and, and all that. And I, one, of the, one of my church members said, what will happen if your parents come to our church and there's a tongue and an interpretation of tongues? And I said, that would be the greatest thing I could think of. <laughs> because they might as well know. Well, we didn't have we didn't have any prophecies. We didn't have any any tongue interpretation, and so you know. And I preached this message, and at the end of the of the message, I prayed for this lady, and I mean, she fell flat at my mom's feet, <laughs> and I thought, there we are, <laughs> because we don't want to be just like the world. There's got to be a question. Tammy and I got in our car. They got in their car. We were driving to lunch, and I said to her, I wish I could be a fly in their car right now to hear what they have to say. I'm sure it wasn't a good thing, but I would love to have heard it. When Jesus here is expressing that he doesn't like the deeds and the teachings of the Nicolaitans, it lets us know that they were teaching, or they were failing to teach the Bible. They were endorsing what was utterly objectionable to Jesus. This, are, this is a serious thing, don't you think? Their style may have purchased a temporary truce with the world, but the reality is it ultimately would be catastrophic for Christians because they were compromising. So what about today's church? In the Christian community today, there are those, like the Nicolaitans of the past, seek to negotiate this truce with the world under the guise of inclusiveness and compromise. We just want to be inclusive. Well, we read to you when Jesus hated it. The word hate has to do with, with, with intolerance. But they, they want that. Some, some, of, some of the spiritual leaders in churches today, again, we're not mad at people. Our, our fight is not with flesh and blood. Our fight is against spirit beings, spirit powers, spirit things. We fight the fight of faith in the spirit, and that's what we're talking about. The fight of faith is a spiritual thing. We don't get mad at the preacher. We don't go and yell at them, or we don't go and hold up a sign in front of their church and tell them that, that, they're, that they're evil. We fight it in the spirit. doesn't mean I have to go or give them my money, but it, doesn't, it does mean I can't hate the person. Okay, Jesus didn't hate these people. But, they, but these people today, at one time, most of them held strong doctrinal positions. But over time, 
They've shaped their beliefs to meld with the changing moral climate of society. They've tried to fit in with their society. In the process, they produced a gospel that is very different from the one that's preached in the Bible. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 talked about preaching another gospel. And he said if they do, they're accursed. This This is a very serious matter. We must never forget that truth does not change with social trends. We've got to get it. It doesn't change with social trends. The truth doesn't. Now, methods may change, but the truth never changes. The way we preach the gospel may change, but the message never changes. The truth cannot be watered down. It must be the truth. The truth is truth regardless of what society thinks. Always. It's always going to be truth. Our day is not the first time in history when believers have been called intolerant because they hold to an absolute truth. That's what they tell us. We have to maintain, maintain a firm stance because when it comes to truth, there's no room for mitigation. It's truth. We must stand for it. I mean, we're going to fight with people, but we're not going to back up. When we mitigate the truth, the truth takes a second seat to respect. And we have to respect. We, you know, the truth is important. As a result, Christ and holy living become negotiable because we've negotiated the truth. And so, according to that mindset, nothing should ever be said that might offend anyone, and everyone is right and no one is wrong. Everybody's right. Many churches. I was watching the local news this week, which I don't watch it very much, but I was watching it this week heard a local preacher say, we want to be a church for all people. He said, we don't want anyone to feel like they're left out. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds really good, doesn't it? Can I tell you what it means? You can bring what you believe here and we'll incorporate it into what we do. You can live a lifestyle that is absolutely in violation of Scripture and you can come here and you're okay. And we'll incorporate that into our lifestyle. Now, the church is a place for all people, but we must teach the Bible. We don't have to preach against lifestyles, but I'm going to tell you something. If we are preaching the Word, we're preaching the Word, the Word divides. It divides. I can tell you how many times people have come to my church and heard messages like this, not about specific topics, but they hear the Word, and they don't come for very long. They like it at first, but then all of a sudden it starts cutting too deep. And they don't want that anymore. We're not opposed to people. We're opposed to lifestyle and doctrine that is a violation of what the Bible teaches. I mean, this, this type of thing, that's what Jesus said he hated. He was intolerant of it. I'm going to list you four indications of, of Nicolaitanism in the churches. This isn't a complete list, but th- this is, this is, we need to be aware of some things. Instead of just believing, oh, their church, and it says Christian on their church, so everything must be good there. And I've heard it said, well, at least they're going to church. I mean, at least they're at church. Not every church is good to go to. You know, we need to find, what does the Bible say? Here's what, here's what happens. Nicolaitanism did this. There was no emphasis on holy living and being separated from the world. 
The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation means behavior, conduct, manner of life. He said, be holy, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, he didn't tell them to be religious. He told them to be holy. Do you know there's a difference? Religion comes from the outside in, and you're forced to conform to a certain set of rules and standards. Holiness comes from the inside out, and you act a certain way because you've been transformed on the inside first, and it works its way to your mind and to your actions. Okay? Holiness is not thou shalt not. Holiness is you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Holiness is you can walk in His perfect will and His perfect plan. It's not about getting your hair done a certain way or wearing certain clothes or all the silly things that people have made it be. That's just simply religion. That's earning your way to something. Holiness is based on relationship. <clears throat> Modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of inclusivity. We want to include everybody. We just love everybody. Rather than living separately from the world, those who espouse this, espouse this view, they, they say, well, since everyone is right, I mean, and no one is wrong, both spiritually and morally, why should there be a need for separation? Everybody's right. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all good. Okay, inherently all people are good is not true or we wouldn't need a savior you hope you understand that but we want to include everybody i mean we know that in leading denominational churches many of them have taken the position that it's time to help those of unscriptural alternate lifestyles blend into the church community so they can lead holy lives a lifestyle lived in opposition to scriptural principle is not what holiness is about christianity is about surrender not about me doing whatever i want to do man so so that that sentiments the the nicolaitans of the first century i mean these people promote a message that makes them more acceptable to the multitude instead of one that will put them in opposition to the expectations of modern society Wow. That's just the first one. Listen to this. Secondly, there's no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. Modern-day Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of progressiveness. We want to be progressive and friendly. Dismissing much of the Bible as being too restrictive or exclusive of other people's beliefs. That Bible is just too restrictive. I mean, you, nobody can live according to the Bible. That's not what the Bible even teaches. Here's what the Scripture says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's all given by God. It's the Word of God that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Jesus said, He said, Sanctify thee, pray. Sanctify them by thy truth. Talking to the Father. Thy Word is truth. We are set apart by the Word. It sets us apart. This is pretty good stuff. We're sanctified by it. The Bible says that we've been born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. I mean, if you leave the Word out of it, there is no new birth. There is no reason to talk about the blood of the cross. 
because it's the Word of God that we have to have. Wow. So, so instead, of the, instead of the Bible being a guide to absolute truth, it's used merely as a reference for illustrations, motivational sermons, inspirational ideas, principles to build a better marriage or to build a better business or to get ahead in life or to be happy in life. And it's never used to judge. We're not the judge, by the way. We never judge. The Word will judge. All right? it, 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 it's never used to imply that someone is wrong. When you read the Bible, you're going to find out in the beginning, the Scripture says that God is judge. But then later on, you find the Scripture says that Jesus, that God gave over judgment to Jesus. Then you read the rest of the New Testament, it says that Jesus handed over judgment to the Word. Because it does cut and it does divide. The Word. You hear the Word and hear the Word and hear the Word. I promise you, it will change your life. Now, you can't be, I told, they can't be like that guy I told you about when I was a freshman at Hardin-Simmons University and he got up at the revival and he had his Bible up there and he said, okay, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And they turned to Acts chapter 2 and it says that they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. And he looked at that and looked at this crowd. Remember, this is a Baptist university. He looks around and he says, I don't believe that. Do you? And so he ripped the page out of his Bible and threw it on the floor. And we're talking about a bunch of Baptist kids and they're all going, what? And he said, okay, wait, he said let's, let's try something better than that. He said, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Turns to 1 Corinthians 14 and says, and the gifts of the Spirit. And he reads the, reads the list of the gifts of the Spirit. He stopped and he said, well, I don't believe that either. And he ripped the page out of it and he threw it away. And then he said, well, what about this Old Testament? He ripped the Old Testament off and threw it away. And by the time he got finished, his Bible was about this thick. And he said, now that's a Bible I can live with. If we'll take the Scripture, apply the whole of it, not just the parts we like, not just trying to make it be convenient for me to believe, what does it say? And not make it conform to me, but make me conform to it. It will divide. It will be the judge. It will show me what to do. And the Scripture says if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. This trend of, of canceling out the Bible is so rampant in the church that the basic tenets of Christian faith are largely not known by most churchgoers, especially young ones. They don't even know what they are. I mean, you ask them about the virgin birth, they have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. I mean, when you talk about the virgin birth, the, the sinlessness of Christ. I read to you the, 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 the statistics about how, how many young people don't believe, the vast majority don't believe that Jesus was sinless. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in salvation, holiness, eternal judgment. I mean, they, they, they think all these things are out there and they're considered optional. That I can believe it if I want to because I have my own truth, my own thing. I mean, where this, where this Nicolaitanism prevails, sound doctrine is replaced with social action. Because if we can get involved in social action, that makes us feel good. We can volunteer to work in a social situating situation or, or, or a, 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 you know, a, a, a social justice. And, and it becomes humanistic in nature rather than God in the center of it. And people feel good about themselves because they give their money to that. They volunteer for it. And so the doctrinal teaching of the Bible is diminished and it's replaced by a lot of politically correct instruction. That was number two. Number three, where this is taught, there's no emphasis on the absolute truth 
or absolute biblical morality. The Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of being open-minded. Oh, you just got to be open-minded. You, you got to be open-minded, right? You got to be open-minded. Do you know that's kind of what the devil said to Eve? Hath God said? He said, just open your mind a little bit. Just open your mind. Do you know when you begin to negotiate with him, you're going to lose? She should have shut him down and said, no, that's what it said. She could have, or Adam, he was standing right there. He could have said, no, no, that's what he said. But the devil tries to make, want us to be open-minded. The Bible says, Jesus said this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. The proverb says twice, there's a way that seems right but the end thereof is death. Listen, open-mindedness is ridiculous if it contradicts what the Word says. If you know what the Bible says and the devil tempts you with being open-minded, you just need to turn that one off. Say, yeah, I may be closed-minded, but I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I'm going to have the promise of God no matter what. I mean, th this whole thought of, 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 of not, not, not carrying this open-minded thing, it says that it's unfair and it's unjust, unjust to assert that certain biblical beliefs alone are the absolute foundation for truth. There's the Bible, and then there's everything else. The Bible's right because God is right. His Word is true. This Nicolaitanism makes allowances that, that we may be wrong, or that others may be equally right. You know, you may be right, but I'm equally right. And, and I just have a different approach. And so it demonstrates, I mean, th th this is so damaging. It permeates the church. You know, I just challenge you to talk to somebody who's under 25 who goes to church. And talk to them about those doctrines I, I mentioned a few minutes ago. Ask them if they know anything about them. We've already found out over, through doing, giving you statistics over the weeks that the majority of evangelical Christians have pretty much the same view as the world and we're never going to influence the world if we look just like them and have their opinions. We must do something different. Finally, th this, this Nicolaitanism, there's no exclusion, exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. They, they, they just, in the guise of tolerance, they say everyone has a piece of the truth. Everybody has a piece of the truth. Jesus said, He said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no human comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not a way, He's the only way to the Father. We can't compromise on that. We'll be agreeing to them going to a destination of hell. They believe that ultimately that when we Include all that, it levels the playing field and makes Christianity a truth among other truths. These are things that are coming out of churches, and Jesus will fight it with the words of his mouth. I mean, if you follow that doctrine that I just said, the logical conclusion, it takes you to universalism. Universalism, sa universalism says that everyone and everything, even Satan and hell, will ultimately be reconciled to God. The scripture simply doesn't teach that. 
Nicolaitanism teaches there are many roads leading to the same destination in the afterlife and that every per person therefore should find his own way. And we see that that is more and more. Today, most young Christians believe in, and adhere to the teachings that Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, and other religious leaders all lead to heaven. And I'm just choosing this one, this one from Jesus. So what does that mean for the church in the future? That means terrible things. But what needs to happen is, what needs to happen is, we need to fight. We need to fight now. These beliefs result in a weakened version of Christianity where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is disregarded. You'll probably think, when is this going to get to the good part they were telling me about? See, this isn't the first time that the church has faced these kinds of issues. But as we enter the last days, we've got to remember what the Holy Spirit told us. He said, This know also that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heeds to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. In time believers, we must assume our responsibility to stay fixed on the Word of God, stay, stay, stay with the truth, not falter, and we understand that comes by believing the absolute truth of God's Word. We must learn to fight. That's what this series is about, learning how to fight. We must take the fight to the enemy and not allow him to steal our hearts in this room. Now let him steal our hearts and our minds. We must stay true to what we know. We must stand with God. We must take our stand in this hour, not just for us, because if we'll begin to take our stand, then we, it, 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 will, it will benefit our families. It will benefit our nations. And here's the thing. The devil comes and he says, he says, oh, you're just too insignificant to matter. Those of you in this, there are so few of us in this room that we are too insignificant to matter. If you buy that line, by the way, if the devil's saying it, it's a lie because that's what he says. Everything he says is lies. If you buy that line, you're in trouble. Here's the reality. There are millions of people just like us all over the world who are willing to take a stand for righteousness, take a stand for the Word of God, take a stand for what is true and pure. Just like us, they're everywhere. So we have to continue to stand and continue to fight the fight with our mouth, doing what we're supposed to do. We read the scripture last week. Fight the good fight of faith. You understand it's good because we win. We're not, it's not good if you lose. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight and you got beat up. That's not good. I mean, you see lots of Christians, they're beat up all the time. The devil beats the, beats the fire out of them and they, boy, I'm glad I'm a Christian. Well, I, they're probably thinking, I'm glad I'm not. The devil's taking you to the woodshed all the time. We need to understand it's a good fight because we win. And we go into the fight believing and knowing that we can win. The apostle said, fight the good fight of faith. Most Christians aren't even aware there is a fight to be fought. They don't even, well, well, I don't want to fight. I didn't get saved, so I had to fight. I mean, I just believe grace will take care of it all. What brings grace, do you think? Faith is according to Scripture. We're saved by grace through faith. We stand in this grace by faith, as Scripture says. We're in faith. We have His grace because of faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's a fight of faith. Grace is is the enablement, the empowerment to help you fight and win the fight of faith. Isn't that good? 
Grace, most people think, well, grace means doing nothing. No, no, no. No, grace gets on what's, what's moving, what's doing something, what's believing God for. I didn't mean to get off on that, but that's what, that's what it is. We fight. We fight the good fight of faith. Most Christians think that they don't even know if there's a fight. They become the prisoners of war, and they, they become everything the enemy wants them to be by doing nothing, by believing that they can go and sit on a row on Sunday morning, sing three or four songs, and get all emotionally involved, and then hear a sermon and go home. And that's what they do for the Lord all week long. Can I tell you something? You didn't get enough word. Most of those places, most of that type of stuff, you don't even get a thimble's worth of, of the word. You've got to take the time yourself to study, to meditate, to hear what the word says. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We began looking at this last week, the good fight. There's a way to fight in the spirit against the spirit of the age and become victorious against the lies of the devil. As we study this over the next several weeks, we're going to not only see how to fight, but what we're fighting. The fight is about laying hold of something. How do we fight it? Who exactly are we fighting? The devil. Well, we're going to find out if that's really a correct statement or not. Again, it's not scriptural unless you can find a scripture for it. Well, we're fighting against the devil. What is it we're fighting? What is the devil doing that we can fight against? It's about laying hold of something. Our goal in life is, is, to, is to lay hold of that which we've been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Our goal is to lay hold of the truth and not allow the devil or circumstances or anything else to pry it away from us. Our goal is to fight a fight and hold on to it. See, the devil, he is, he is wanting to take everything away from you. Take the word out of your mind, out of your mouth, out of your heart. He wants, to, he wants, you, he wants you to get nothing. He doesn't fight fair. And we must learn to main, maintain hold of the eternal promises. He will do everything he can to steal the word from your heart. When it's sown, he tries to steal it right then. If he can't get it then, he tries to put enough circumstances in your life that you'll let go of it and you'll never produce what you need to produce. We must find out what is the scriptural way to fight in the Spirit. And again, we've got to have scripture to make it scriptural. Last time, we saw that Jesus fought with the words of his mouth. In Revelation, two different times, it says he had a sword, a two-edged sword in his mouth. And he said he was going to fight with the sword of his mouth. Jesus fought with the sword of his mouth. Think about when Jesus was tempted. Remember when Jesus was tempted? Have you ever read that? What happened right before that? Do you remember? Jesus was baptized. What happened at his baptism that was very remarkable? The dove came on him right after that. The Father said, This is my Son. Right? What's the first thing the devil said to Jesus? If you're the Son of God. Big old if. The very first thing he tries to do is wrestle away the truth of the Word of God. God said, This is my Son. The devil says, if you're, the, if you're the Son of God. Hath God said, He's not changed ever. The very first thing He wants to do is steal the seed from your heart. He, will, he wants to take it from you. Jesus showed us how to fight here. He showed us how to take care of it. 
the devil comes and says, if you're really, if really, if you're really the son of God, really, if you're really the son of God, I know you're hungry, man. You, you've been here 40 days and 40 nights. You haven't eaten anything. If you're really the son of God, you don't have to wait for anybody to give you anything. Command these stones to be made bread. If you, if, if you really are the son of God, you can do that. Do it. Do it. Come on, big boy. Turn them into bread. If you're really the son of God, if that's really who you are, because I, I, I personally don't believe it. I think it's a bunch of hype. The devil didn't even know who Jesus was until the day of baptism. I don't know if you realize that or not. He tried killing him and tried killing him. And that day, the, it's like the father said, hey, stupid. He's right here. And the devil said, if you are, do it, big boy. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Quit wasting time. Just do it. How did Jesus fight? He said, it is written. And I mean, he sliced him a big one. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus took care of it with his mouth. The devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, if you're the son of God, if. I mean, I still don't believe it. If you really, has God really said that if you really are the son of God? Throw yourself down. Here's the big one. The devil starts quoting scripture to him. He says, the Bible says, the angels will take care of you so you won't dash your foot against a stone. If you're, if you're really the son of, if you are the son of God, do it. Prove it. Prove that you are the son of God. Prove it to me right now. If the devil starts making you prove something, you better open your mouth or you will leave defeated. You will leave condemned. You need to make sure you open your mouth. Open your mouth. It's like I heard the story. The guy was up on the top of, I think it was the Empire State Building, and, and he was standing there, and, and he heard this voice, and it wasn't out, out loud, but it was inside him. It says, it says, jump. And the guy says, you jump. you got to understand, you got to talk to that right now. Because if you don't, if you don't, it will continue to talk to you. Jump. If you don't talk to it, I'm not, I'm not going to jump. I, I, I'm not suicidal. The voice is going to say, yeah, you are. You're thinking about suicide, aren't you? You're thinking about jumping? Sure you are. Go ahead and jump. You're never going to get past this. You've got to stop it right now because it's going to keep coming back and keep coming back and you need to keep answering every single time. And the devil's saying, prove it. Prove it. Jump. 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 You got to know. You got to know something. You need to know the word, but you also need to know what else the word says. When the devil quoted the scripture, Jesus said, Yeah, but it's also written. You're not supposed to tempt the Lord your God. And the devil gets him one more time. You know the story. He says, You know what? If you will just bow down and worship me, because he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of them. And I have the power to do it. He was right. Because man gave it to him. It wouldn't have been a temptation if he couldn't have done it. Here's what he's saying. Okay, maybe you're the son of God. But let me help you out with this one. Let's you and me make a truce with each other. 
if you'll bow down and worship me, all these people will go ahead and worship you now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die for their sins. They'll go ahead and worship you now. We can take the shortcut, and this will be all over with. Just do it. Do it. You don't want to die in the end. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. How did Jesus finish it? It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. You better know the word. If the devil would have come at him a hundred more times, he'd have had a hundred more scriptures. Well, that was Jesus. No, that's you. You can have a hundred more scriptures too. You can load up your mouth with the word and you can shoot it off when you need it. Jesus fought with the words of his mouth. Tells me something. We better know what is written. Isn't that good? Yeah, but, but I don't know what's written. Start with John 3, 16. Let's go from there. You already know that one. Everybody knows that one. Tim Tebow made sure we all knew what that was with the little things under his eyes. It is written. The devil used scripture. You don't know what else is written. We talked last night, last time, about how this is a faith fight. This isn't an answer fight. It's a faith fight. It's not a knowledge fight. It's a faith fight. You may not know why this is happening. You may not have an understanding of why it's happening. You, that's not, you don't have to have any of that to win the fight of faith. You simply have to believe the Word of God and load up your mouth with what the Bible says. It is a fight by faith. We're saved, the Bible says, because we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth. The word saved is a Greek word sozo, which means to be healed, delivered, made well, made whole, and saved. It's talking about everything you face. It's talking about rescue. Faith it draws the grace. Faith is not about me getting what I want. Faith is about God getting what He wants to me and through me. That's why it's a fight of faith. So tonight, I want you to listen to this. I'm going to re go back to 1 Timothy 6, chapter 12, but I'm going to add to 13 here. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. It says, Fight twice and confess twice. Then he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ. It says, You're in the sight of God, and you're before Jesus. They're watching you fight. Who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Jesus has this encounter with Pilate, which is, which is really something. We're going to look at that for a couple of minutes. I mean, last time we saw that he fought with the, with the words of his mouth. I was going to try to get this part in last week, but I didn't quite get it there. This, this verse 6.13 in the Message Bible says, Jesus took his stand. This is in Pilate, in front of Pilate. He took his stand and didn't give an inch. He stood and he stood. And we're going to see how he fought this fight. Jesus, you know, was arrested. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they spit on him, they whipped on him, and they took him to Pilate because they could, their religion wouldn't let them crucify him or kill him on the Sabbath, especially Passover. Pilate was a wicked man. He was evil. He did not mind killing Jews did not have respect for the Jews. In fact, one time Jesus talked about how that a bunch of, of Jewish people were offering their sacrifices and Pilate came and killed them all and mixed their blood with the blood of the animals they were sacrificing. Well, that was a bad deal. It was a, it was a mass murder right there and Pilate didn't care. 
He did not care for Jews. He was known for being evil. He was known for not liking Jews. His attitude was, don't you know that I can kill you? He said to anybody, any Jewish person, don't you know that I can kill you? He said it to Jesus. He knows that. Jesus knows who he's dealing with. He understands who Pilate is. But he is not afraid of Pilate. Not afraid. He's not afraid if he gets crucified. Do you know why? Because in the garden, he already crucified his flesh. He had already surrendered. He had already decided what he was going to do. He said, if there's another way, I'll take it. But whatever you want is what I'm going to do. And Jesus had already made that decision. I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking, most people I know at this moment, they would have been, they would have been crying and begging for mercy. Because it's easy to be brave and tough in this room. I'm fight the devil. I bind you, devil. But when they're by themselves in the dark, on a country road, it's a different story sometimes. We need to learn how to fight the fight of faith with the sword of our mouth. Listen to these verses. This is in, in, in John chapter 18, verse 33, starting in verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Kind of a silly question. Jesus answered him, <laughs> I love this, Sayest thou this thing by thyself, or did others tell thee of me? Pilate walks in and says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is like, did you just now figure that out? Or does somebody tell you? He's agreeing with him. Are you the king of the Jews? You just now figured it out. Good for you. Or, or did somebody just tell you about that? Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate says, am I a Jew? I mean, thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered me, delivered thee unto me, and what hast thou done? Listen to what Jesus says. He never changes his confession. He's been saying this for the whole time he's been in the ministry. He never backs up, never stands down, even though he knows that Pilate can have him put to death. Jesus said, my kingdom. He just now said, I'm a king. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight and that I, that I should not be delivered to the Jews but now is my kingdom, not from hence. Jesus said, my kingdom in here. If my kingdom was here, you'd be dead right now. All Jesus has to do is ask the Father, and he'll send legions of angels who can wipe out the whole Roman army. Pilate has no idea how close he is to being annihilated. All Jesus has to do is say, Father, send the troops. And it's over. But had he done that, he would have never died for the sins of the world. He said, he said, you know, it's not me. Pilate said, so you're a king? And Jesus is like, of course I'm a king. He said, are you a king? He said, you say I'm a king. You, you said it. You are right. You said I'm a king. To this end I was born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. He said, I'm here to reveal the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? Things are starting to change in this conversation. Pilate is an egotist. He is in control of everything. All of a sudden he says, are, are, are you a king? And Jesus said, I am. And everybody who hears my voice hears the truth.
and my followers know the truth. Everyone who hears me hears the truth. And Pilate's like, what, what is the truth? All of a sudden, Jesus is the one driving the bus. Then later on, Pilate's wife has a dream. Remember this part of the story? And she says, I had a dream about this man. Don't have anything to do with him. Let him go. Let him go. You don't want his blood on your hands. So then it says, then in verse, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, Then Pilate says unto him, Speakest thou not to me? <laughs> he started getting nervous. His wife had this dream. Now he comes in. He's afraid. And he says, he says Aren't you going to talk to me? <laughs> I mean, aren't, aren't you? You're not even talking to me? I mean, I have the power to release thee. Listen to this next thing. This is what Jesus said. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me into thine hand unto thee hath a greater sin. From thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. Pilate's now shaking. Everything changes. Jesus is confronting him, and he says, Don't you know that I have the power? And Jesus looks at him. This is the confession of faith. You have nothing. You have nothing over me. You have nothing. That ought to be in your mouth. When the devil comes to you and he says, you're a victim and you have no hope. You'll never get over this. You need to stop him and say, you have nothing. You have nothing over me. You have nothing on me. You have nothing. We need to have the faith that's already inside of us. And we need to say to all that lie that the devil brings to us, you have nothing over me. You are powerless here. In the name of Jesus, you have nothing over me. When he comes and says, oh, your kids are all going to hell. It's because you've been so religious. Shut up. You have nothing over me. Nothing over me. You have no power over me. Oh, you'll never get past this, this addiction or this depression or this sickness. You'll Stop him right now. You have nothing. You have nothing. Or you can just cry, feel sorry for yourself, agree with the devil, and you'll be worse off tomorrow. Or you can stop him. You can remember who you are and whose you are. And you can speak to all that lie and you can tell it that it has no power over you at all. But what happens if the devil gets mad? He's already mad. The Bible says he's full of wrath. He can't get any more mad than being full of it. And believe me, he's full of it. And you do that in faith. You have nothing. You have nothing. When you do that in faith, a power from on high comes and it changes everything in your life. Now you may have to do it more than once. You may have to do it for the rest of your life. But you do it. You've got to lay hold of it. And then you refuse to let it go. This is the fight. Do not let go of what you know. Hold on to it. Don't be moved. We sing that old song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Listen, you need to take a stand and don't move.
Don't move off of what God said. I mean, even if the devil himself comes at you, you need to learn how to say, it is written. You have nothing. You have nothing over me. God is watching me. Jesus is watching me. And when I stand up and I say, you have nothing over me, I believe the Father said, oh, 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 come over here. Come over here. Come over here. Watch him. Watch, watch, watch. That's my boy. That's my girl. They're standing and they're not letting go. They're standing and they're standing. Yeah, but what if I've, what if I've let go in the past? That's fine. Let the past is the past. It's not a fight of the past. It's a fight of faith that begins right this minute. Right now, we make the adjustment we need to make, and we fight it now. Because you can't fight yesterday. You can only fight today. In preparation for tomorrow, but you can only fight today. We cannot let go. We must stand in faith. Fight the fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your presence in this room. I thank you for your ability to bring the revelation to us. And I praise you for character among the people here. We choose tonight. We choose to stand. We choose to fight a fight of faith. We choose to confess the word of God. We put the sword of your word in our mouths. And we declare tonight the devil has nothing on us. We walk in your faith, your victory. In Jesus' name, amen.